Hello and welcome to ITIC Insight, the podcast which shares loss prevention advice from ITIC, the world's leading provider of professional indemnity insurance for transport professionals everywhere. Hello everybody, I'm Mark Bratman, the legal advisor at ITIC. Welcome to this podcast that we're uh, doing today. This is going to be a discussion with my colleague Matthew Offers on cybercrime and uh, some frauds that we've seen stemming from the claim that you, some of you may have seen in our latest edition of Claims Review and it was on a press release recently. We are seeing more and more of these types of claim. Some are very complicated, some are pretty simple and you may not spot them straight away but what we're here to discuss today is whether you should have some procedures in place in order to deal with them. So um, I'm going to hand over to Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Mark. Thanks for being here today. So the claim that was in the claims review was actually handled by you. So it might be a good idea if you could tell everybody the basic fact of this this claim, and then we can discuss it together. Yeah, this this involved one of ITIC ship manager members, and they had a ship in a yard in China, and the the repairs were proceeding and they had to make certain scheduled payments. The invoices were raised by the yard and these were presented to the manager for payment and they proceeded. They were around about $200,000 per tranche and uh, they they prepared to make these payments and, and they pressed go. The issue that arose was the fact that the hackers had intercepted the email traffic and had intercepted this and had changed the, the person that the accounts departments were actually communicating with. And what they'd done was just change the M in one of the email addresses to an IRN instead of an IM. And this meant that the whole process was now hijacked. The problems then started to arise when the payments were made. The yard realized that the monies hadn't been received and sent a reminder. And this was also intercepted and kept away from the manager. And then another invoice was raised. This was then presented to the manager again as the second instalment. And once again, the change in bank details were were laid out and the change in um, position was made. And a further payment was made to the fraudsters and not the yard. When an audit came about, it was realized that actually they were made an error, which cost somewhere in the region half a million dollars. So then we were looking at how to how to try and highlight these issues, obviously, but also what can be done to remedy this and make sure that other people don't fall foul of such such problems. Well wow. so so essentially what you're saying is the the ship manager when dealing with these invoices coming in weren't dealing with the yard at all. They were just dealing with a completely separate entity, a complete third party who'd managed to hack into the systems correct exactly right they they completely hacked the entire email traffic it appeared that they had been monitoring that traffic and they were sophisticated enough to generate invoices that looked exactly the same as those that would be generated by the yard in a normal process so that the entire thing was quite sophisticated in lots of ways but also very simple in the way that they managed to manipulate the situation between the yard and the manager. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for saying that, because I think we are finding that these are these type of frauds are getting a lot more sophisticated. You know, back in, in the past, you know, you could pretty much easily tell at first glance that 
the email was coming from a, a fraudulent party, whereas now they're getting far more sophisticated, both in their use of language and in the attachments that they have. And as you said here, the invoices looked exactly the same as the original invoices. So they'd obviously seen those before and been able to replicate them. Yeah. So it's, it's something that we understand that sometimes the member themselves might not be able to physically see that there is a problem. But we're hoping that by having some proper procedures in place, even if you don't spot the, the fraud straight away, you should still be able to uh, not not fall into their trap. So in, in your thinking, what, what do you think would be very helpful for the members to do in these sort of scenarios? Well, well in these circumstances, the, the general premise is always that the, the staff, the personnel should be trained. They should be regularly trained, refreshed in respect of the procedures that a company has in place for situations where the the trigger has to be where bank details are changing. There is a request for a change of bank details. And whatever that may be, whatever reason that may be, whether it be an audit, whether it be because of sanctions issue, whether it be a problem with a bank, doesn't matter, a tax issue, a VAT issue, the number of excuses are numerous, all of which to some extent are slightly irrelevant because the actual problem or the actual thing that should be referred to is the change in bank details. And that should raise a red flag and trigger the procedure that you then have to follow. Yeah, I agree. So so absolutely, any time there's any change of bank details, um, you should always have a procedure in place uh, to, to deal with that. And, you know, we, we've seen it over the years ourselves when uh, and some, some of these bank details, you know, you think they would set the alarm bells ringing anyway, because if you're dealing with a company A and the new bank details have a different name on them, they have company B's name on it, that should obviously set the alarms ringing. And also we see bank details, if you're dealing with a company based in the US and the bank details are in Estonia, for example, or Georgia or, or, or somewhere the company isn't, and again, that's a red flag that should set the alarm bells ringing. And I think one of the one of the main things you should do here is is using the telephone. Would you Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, the the first thing should be one: you should stop what you're doing immediately and refer it to your manager and explain the situation. He should then refresh you with regard to what the procedure is. And the first procedure, the most simple procedure, it doesn't cost any money. It it actually isn't very time consuming nowadays because most companies are used to receiving this and you call back a number that you know is the company you wish to speak to. Do not use the number that is on the email that you have received in respect of a change of bank details. Go back on the file, go back a year, go back as far as you wish, but always go away from the the information that you've received and call the number to somebody you know and you are comfortable in speaking to and then ask for them that you've received this and you would like to check with them whether these bank details are correct and whether the requirement is actually needed. Yeah, that's good advice because obviously if you call the number on the fraudulent email, the likelihood is you'll just get through to the fraudsters themselves who will tell you that everything is is fine and that you should proceed. So as Matt said, try and go and use a much older number that you already have on your system or from an, uh, another email that's not connected to it. So, I mean, that, that, that as we say, is, is probably the best way to deal with, with this. But, you know, for the member's point of view, what what is the what happens if they pay the money to, to the wrong 
party, do, do the fraudsters, do you, do you think there's any chance that they'll recover the money? Well, I think from our experience of dealing with numerous world-leading banks, the real problem has always been is the fact that from a bank's perspective, this is a valid transaction. You've entered the details, you've pressed go, your accounts department has pressed go, and they've released the monies exactly as they should. What reason is there for them to actually recover those monies? The onus is on you to do the due diligence prior to pressing go. And from our experience, it's very, very difficult. So you, I think from your experience, you've you realised just how sophisticated the fraudsters are in using the entire system and moving monies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I mean, we've had some claims in the past where it seemed like it, on, on this particular claim, it was a broker and uh, some money had been paid by what we considered to be a fraudster. And we asked the bank if they could let us know where money coming into the broker's account had come from, but they wouldn't help even on that because if, if they would have told us where the money had come in from, we would have been able to instantly see if it was from the party, the genuine party, or if it was from the fraudster, that they wouldn't help us in any way. And we were told by lawyers that we had no legal right to, to ask them. The other problem is that the money, once it goes into the bank that you've paid it to, is often removed from that bank pretty much instantly. So your money will go into, for example, an HSBC account in Poland, and then it will be removed from that account you know, within a few hours and taken off to another bank, you know, in, in maybe in the Far East. And once it's left that bank, it's very, very hard for it to be recovered. I don't think we've ever re- been able to recover anything. No, I agree. I, I, anything with regard to the banks is extremely difficult. I know that they talk about improving procedures, etc. But in the end, the onus is on you, the person making the payment. And you're the person who has to make sure you've done the checks. And those checks, as we've said today, are very simple to try and establish. And if you are worried or concerned, then don't press go. The one thing that shipping has a problem with is the fact that it still transfers relatively large sums of money. And from a fraudster's perspective, you know, in this instance, they tried the fraud twice and they took away half a million dollars. That's a pretty good hit rate. So, you know, from a shipping's perspective, they really you really do need to make sure that you have your procedures in place because it is the only defence you've really got against these people who can try multiple times over multiple companies and they'll get they'll get lucky. And when they get lucky, unfortunately for shipping, it, it involves relatively large sums of money. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's wise to be aware of it because we've had some cases where the, the fraudsters themselves have got into the email chain well before the invoices are, are even in, in the picture. So the parties have been dealing with the fraudsters for maybe a, a couple of weeks before the, the invoices even come into it. So they kind of soften it up by mentioning that there might be a change to the uh, to the bank details sort of three weeks earlier. So then when the invoice does come, and it is, they can say, oh, do you remember we told you three weeks ago that there was, we were going to have an audit? Well, now we are having that audit. And you need to send it to this place. And, and, you know, you'd be surprised how well informed these auditors are, you know, that, you know, that we, we've seen them actually in proper negotiations, you know, passing details backwards and forwards, you know, that they really do get involved. I'd say some of the red flags that, that we were discussing before that if you see these emails, but obviously the main one is anytime you see 
uh, bank, bank details. That's the biggest red flag of all. But other things that you might see in, in emails that should set your, your 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 alarm bells ringing are sort of different names appearing, uh, as you said before, you know, in the email address. In this particular case, they changed IM to IRM. And when that's together, it looks exactly the same. You know, we've seen capital I's replacing lowercase L's, which is almost impossible to tell. We've seen where there's a double letter in a name, like a double S at the end. We've seen one S removed. Lots of different things. You know, they have lots of tricks that change the email address. And I think now, I mean, I'm not particularly technical, but I think sometimes they can actually replicate the actual valid email address. So to to your eye, it actually does appear to be from the right person. But actually, if you hover over it or something, you can tell that it's it's generated. We've seen that. Is there any any other sort of things that, that you've seen? No, I, I agree. I mean, the, the one real thing that's sort of probably of the biggest concern is the spoofing of the email address, as it's called, where you, yeah. you front um, a, a false email address. And I think all of those issues are of particular concern, probably at the moment, as well, where you've got lots of people working from home, there's bigger distractions. We also understand that you know, people working on desks, account departments are busy. Um, people are busy. They, they, they don't look at email addresses with a you know with a microscope they they're passing over details making sure that they're as good as they can be and then sending them out so you need to again go back to the issues of training of making sure that there is a referral point that somebody feels comfortable especially when you're working from home and you may be using video links etc so really to have a separate procedures almost for people working from home, especially in countries where you've got people with in split locations. Somebody are in, some are in the office, some are working from home. All of this makes communication more difficult. So you need to try and establish proper ways of discussing these things and raising them and having second pairs of eyes. And I think if you can make sure that people are looking at those and considering those, that must be really helpful um, going forward in, in the future. Absolutely. And I think as well, in this day and age where we're getting more and more regulation, I think a lot of these procedures can be tied up with money laundering checks that most companies should be making uh, when they make payments. And also, we have to often check a lot for sanctions these days. So so whilst you're doing your sanctions checks and your money laundering checks, this should also be another check that, that, that you should put on to your, to your procedurals and systems. Yeah, as I say, it's something that we're seeing more and more of. They're definitely becoming more sophisticated, so you have to be more aware. But essentially, uh, your procedures, if, if you have them in place, if they're robust enough, should be able to help. I think that's pretty much it. Would you have anything you'd like to say in summary, Matt, to sum, sum it all up? Hopefully, we've touched upon some areas where people can take some easy things away and just look at their what they're doing and what they're actually saying. But essentially, it's really simple. It is, as per the circular, pick up the phone. Make sure you check back on the file to a number that you know is bona fide and call the person you know. Have a system which raises red flags when you see a change in bank details. And your CFO, your manager, your line manager should be involved in all of this process as a point of referral and can keep you in line with the procedures that your company has. Additionally, I think also look at the ITIC website. Um, there's checklists on there. There's the claims examples that we've been referring to with the claims review. And there's also specific circulars, all of which can help you work out the best procedures for your particular company. 
Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Matt, for taking the time to chat with everyone uh, today. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Itic Insight. We hope you found this edition interesting and informative. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts.